This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I have missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, male-female sex, female-female sex, group sex, futinari, women with male genitalia, problematic consent due to the use of magic, corruption and mind alteration, and manipulative behavior by religious authorities. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 230. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you the latest in my journey as a writing professional. So let's get right to it. Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 3 in my erotic fantasy novel, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. John the Incubus has been dating Catherine Catane for the last seven months, and things have been going well. But the winter holidays are closing in, and their relationship faces a new challenge. Kate's parents have invited Kate and John to come stay with them for Metacama, the Empire's National Day of Thanksgiving and Remembrance. John has deeply conflicted feelings about the holiday. As a priest of hedonism, he is all in favor of feasting and celebration, but he has a lot of deep-seated trauma around the idea of family. John owes his existence to an illicit affair between his incubus father and the Lady Halloway, the wife of the powerful Count Xavier Halloway. John was raised as the presumptive child of the Count and the scion of his house, but when he reached puberty and was exposed as an incubus, John was excoriated, stripped of his rank, his title, his possessions, and even his last name. If he hadn't been taken in by Mistress Jasmine, the head priestess of Metamore's hedonist temple, John would likely have starved on the streets. So John is more than a little worried about the idea of getting close to new people who might reject him if they knew the truth about what he was. Kate is sympathetic to John's worries, but she assures him that he doesn't have to worry about her parents. They're good people, and they know that John is an important part of Kate's life. Granted, Kate has not told them about John's infernal heritage, or what John does for a living, but she figures that they can work up to that later, once her parents have gotten to know John as a person. John realizes that this is important to Kate, and for her sake, he agrees to come with her to her parents' home in the central provinces. Now he faces a new obstacle, getting permission to leave from his head priestess.
Homecoming, a tale of Metamore City, written and read by Chris Lester. Chapter 3, Monday, November 13th. Agreeing to visit Kate's parents for a week was one thing. For John, actually getting permission to make such a visit was quite another. He had not been granted a vacation that long since he'd first sought shelter at the temple, two decades ago. He hadn't even asked for one. Like the others who served at the temple, John lived in a mingled admiration, lust, and terror of Mistress Jasmine. She was a succubus matriarch, a powerful being, hundreds of years old and possessing a large piece of Zespira's essence. As such, she viewed the people in her domain as something between her subjects and her personal property. If John wanted to leave town, he would need her blessing to do so, or there would be hell to pay when he returned. John's prospects were not off to a good start, and his stomach was in knots as he pulled into the temple parking garage. He and Kate had squeezed in one last romp in the sack that morning, and now he was late. Mistress Jasmine's skimmer already sat in her reserved space, its narrow headlamp seeming to squint at him in suspicion. That wasn't necessarily a bad sign, he told himself. After all, Jasmine lived at the temple, just as he did. She might have come back last night, rather than sleeping over at the home of her most recent conquest. Matriarchs never strayed too far from their centers of power. Maybe she's still asleep. If so, he could sneak in and get to work on the day's duties without the boss ever being the wiser. It wasn't as if Jasmine held herself to a rigid schedule. He used his key to open the rear entrance, then slipped quietly inside the changing room that served as the temple's entry hall. Quickly, he stripped off his clothes, threw them in a hamper, and shifted back to his red-hued Daedra form. He stashed his shoes, wallet, and other personal items in his locker, then stole out of the room, into the nearest stairwell, and down to the computer lab. He had encountered no one else so far. All he had to do was log into his work account, check out the day's assignments on the duty roster, and get started before Jasmine went looking for him. The sound of grunts and the rhythmic slapping of flesh on flesh greeted him before he even opened the computer lab door. He could sense essence as well, swirling around the room like an intoxicating cloud, driving anyone inside it to greater heights of sexual fervor. He sighed, imagining the tech support call to clean bodily fluids out of the keyboards. Again. He wondered which priest or priestess couldn't control themselves enough to at least take this encounter back to one of the nearby bedrooms. Already composing a terse reminder memo for the staff mailing list, he opened the door. He was greeted by the sight of one of the temple's human acolytes bent over the nearest computer desk. Her name was Rianne, and she was a pretty, freckled Seth Morin woman still working her way through uni. John had converted her to the Church of Hedonism two years ago, long before he had met Kate, and last spring she had taken vows as an acolyte. At the moment her cheeks were flushed as red as her long, curly hair, 
and her bright blue eyes had the glazed, blissed-out look that said she was probably on her third or fourth feeding of the day. The smell of semen was strong in the air, and John could see patches on her naked skin where some of it had dried. And behind Rianne, pinning her against the desk with one hand while she plowed into her with systematic ferocity, was Mistress Jasmine. John froze with his hands on the doorknob as the knots in his stomach twisted a little tighter. He stared with mingled fear and lust as Jasmine thrust into the girl with a penis at least thirty centimeters long. In itself, that wasn't an uncommon sight at Temple. All incubi and succubi were natural shapeshifters, and with practice, any of them could assume male traits, female traits, or a combination of the two. The blended form Jasmine now wore was the one that most closely mirrored the body of Suspira herself. With her ample breasts, curvaceous figure, and full, sensuous lips, Jasmine was still undeniably feminine, and though John found her cock a little intimidating, he was accustomed to seeing it by now. He was not, however, accustomed to seeing Jasmine fucking the help inside the computer room. She usually fed in the privacy of her own chambers, or in the temple sanctuary during services. If she was here, now, there was only one reason for it. She was waiting for someone. Someone like John, for instance. The priestess raised her head, turning hungry eyes on John. Her lips parted in a slow, vulpine smile and John saw the glint of long, pointed canines. "'Ah, John,' she said conversationally, not slowing her thrusts for even a moment. "'You're finally back. Did you have a nice time with your hobby?' John's lips felt suddenly dry. He could feel bile rising in his throat. "'Yes, mistress.' "'Good.' Jasmine grabbed Rianne's hair in her free hand and pulled back hard, while simultaneously burying her cock in the girl to the hilt. The redhead's mouth fell open in a cry of mingled pain and pleasure. "'You're going to be working with me today,' Jasmine continued, her voice as smooth and relaxed as if she weren't fucking Rianne's brains out. "'I thought we could practice the sacred triad with your little acolyte here.' She turned her attention to Rianne, lowering her mouth next to the girl's ear. Would you like that, Rianne? It took a long moment for Rianne's brain to reboot her speech center. He yes, mistress, she gasped. P please, anything. I'll do anything. Ah. Her fingers tightened on the edge of the desk as an orgasm crashed through her, the skin around her knuckles turning white. John doubted she even knew who Jasmine was talking to. Jasmine looked back up at John, that dangerous smile still on her face. Well, John, you heard the girl. This is a test, John thought. Jasmine was checking to see if he had become so distracted by his hobby that he was unable to function as a priest anymore. Incubi and succubi couldn't ever be monogamous, of course— they needed more life mana than any one person could provide, even someone like Kate. But even emotional attachment to one special partner was considered unseemly for a priest of hedonism. 
Up to now, Jasmine had shown a grudging tolerance for John's eccentric behavior, but he could tell she was having doubts. Showing up late after a weekend with his girlfriend was doing nothing to allay them. Jasmine raised her eyes expectantly. I'm out of time, John thought. He needed to reassure her of his commitment, and quickly, especially with the favor I'm about to ask of her. Doing his best to ignore Jasmine and the reaming she was still giving the girl, he stepped forward and crouched in front of Rianne. He took her head in both hands and lifted it, carefully watching her face. Her eyes drifted aimlessly, lost in the haze of pleasure and essence-induced delirium. He ran a thumb lightly over her lips, and instinctively she took it into her mouth and sucked on it. She swirled her tongue and bobbed her head as if it were a penis. Rianne, he said gently. Rianne, look at me. The sound of his voice must have triggered a memory on some subconscious level, because she paused in her movements and looked up at him, her lips still wrapped around his thumb. A moment later, her eyes came into focus, and she drew back from the thumb and smiled dreamily up at him. "'Brother John!' she cried. "'I'm so glad you're here. Mistress uh, said you would come.' The knot of tension inside him eased a little. So, Jasmine had told Rianne what she had in mind. John was sure the girl didn't know why Jasmine had arranged this little scene— but the fact that she'd had the chance to give consent beforehand eased some of his misgivings. In her current state, she was probably too blissed out on essence to say no to anything, but at least he could make sure she said yes. "'Mistress wants me to help fuck you,' John said seriously. "'Is that something you want, too?' Rianne nodded eagerly. "'Yes, please.' "'All right.' John kissed her lightly on the lips, then stood, placing his cock in front of her. Why don't you start by using your mouth? Behind Rianne, Jasmine's smile warmed a few degrees. She slowed her fucking down to a gentle, steady pace, which freed Rianne to pry one of her hands loose from the table. The redhead wrapped John's shaft in short, delicate-looking fingers— but her grip was stronger and more confident than he had remembered. She pumped his shaft a few times, kissed the head, ran her tongue over the sensitive skin of his frenulum. He was fully hard within seconds. She smiled up at him again, then opened her mouth wide, curling her tongue and hollowing her cheeks to make a channel for his cock. John held her head steady with both hands and rocked his hips forward, thrusting into her waiting mouth. Rianne had been slating the hungers of incubi and succubi on a daily basis for months now, and it showed. John's cock slid smoothly through her mouth, down her throat, and back out again, all without triggering any hint of a gag reflex. It was impressive as hell, and it felt exquisite. He pulled all the way out, letting Rianne take a deep breath, and then did it again. Jasmine kept up the rhythm in her pussy, and Rianne moaned around John's cock and pumped his shaft with her hand while he plunged again and again down her willing throat. Rianne's aura was already fully open, 
so John allowed his hunger to feed a little, taking small, carefully measured sips of her life energy. As soon as Rianne cried out in orgasm, John cut off the flow, stopping any further feeding. After the way he'd feasted on Kate, his Daedra calf was frustrated and upset by this, like a hungry dog being placed on a diet. No more, John told it sternly. Jasmine has taken a lot from her already. The thought of Jasmine made his inner Daedra back down, retreating to the far corners of his mind. Every pack-hunting predator knew not to come between the Alpha and its meal. John drew out his cock, which was still hard, and looked up at Jasmine. Is it all right if we switch sides? Jasmine gave him a measuring look, a smirk playing along her lips. Her face was flushed from the vigorous exercise, but she wasn't actually breathing hard. A succubus as powerful as her had stamina that could put any human lover to shame. I've got a better idea, she said at last. Get over here. Obediently, John walked around the desk to the other side. As he did so, Jasmine pulled Rianne off the desk and had her get on her hands and knees. Jasmine gestured at Rianne's spread legs, and John knelt between them, lining up his cock with her vulva. Are you ready, Rianne? he asked. The redhead grunted an affirmative, and John slid inside her. She was slick and hot, and her pelvic floor muscles squeezed him hard as he filled her. Both of them let out groans of pleasure. Before they could get into a rhythm, though, Jasmine sat down on Rianne's back, facing John. Her erect phallus poked him in the nose. Below it, in the place where an incubus would have had a pair of testicles, the folds of her labia were swollen and dripping with moisture. "'Your mouth, John,' Jasmine commanded. John did not need to be told twice. He took the head of the cock into his mouth and sucked hard, tasting Rianne's juices mingled with the tang of Jasmine's precum. At the same time, he continued thrusting into Rianne and extended his tail around in front of him, burying the head in Jasmine's pussy. Jasmine arched her back and growled approvingly as John pleasured her with mouth and tail. She gripped his horns like a pair of handlebars, holding his head steady while she arched her hips to thrust deep inside him. John's gag reflex was not as well controlled as Rianne's, and he made inadvertent choking noises as Jasmine throat-fucked him. This only seemed to excite Jasmine even more. She raised his head off of her, long enough to let him gasp out a few breaths, then yanked him back down again thrusting inside him with even more vigor. John was simultaneously humiliated, terrified, and deeply, painfully aroused. Ordinarily, he was an assertive and proactive lover, even dominant, but that wasn't what Jasmine wanted from him. Like Rianne and everyone else at the temple, he was a tool to be used as she saw fit, and she was talented enough, and powerful enough, to make him enjoy it. Jasmine opened her aura a little, and her essence flooded out again in a rush, flowing through both John and Rianne. John could feel that power affecting his human side, lowering inhibitions, increasing desire, 
and drawing on the store of life energy inside him. Being fed on lit up his own reward centers, just as it had for Kate, and he groaned and slammed his cock even more frantically into Rianne. His own core of Daedric power tried to contest with Jasmine's essence, to pull back on his life mana, like a wolf fighting to hold on to a scrap of meat. Jasmine, however, was orders of magnitude stronger than John. She tore the mana from him with only the slightest effort, and gave John's Daedric side a metaphorical cuff upside the head for its impertinence. John's power shrank back again, leaving his human side to face the full effects of Jasmine's feeding. He felt the life force being drained out of him, felt the narcotic rush of being her prey, and nothing in the world felt more right or true in that moment. He was Jasmine's, to be used for her pleasure. His submission to that thought was the final trigger, and he moaned around Jasmine's phallus as his own spurted and emptied itself in Rianne. The redhead, no doubt feeling her own effects from the feeding, cried out with one more orgasm, then slumped to the floor, her exhausted limbs buckling under Jasmine's weight. John followed the two women to the floor, still sucking on Jasmine's cock. A moment later, she too reached her climax, and a flood of hot, sticky semen filled his mouth. John was very careful to swallow every last drop. They lay sprawled in a pile for some indeterminate length of time, with no sound but their own labored breathing and the quiet hum of the computers. Eventually, Jasmine rose and headed for the door. "'Well, that was fun,' she said. "'Go clean yourselves up. John, I'll expect you in my office when you're done. Rianne, go to the sanctuary and pray for the lady's blessing on your womb.' Meekly, Rianne pressed her forehead to the floor in submission. "'Yes, mistress.' "'What?' John thought, a cold shock running through him. Belatedly, he reached up and checked for his birth control amulet. There it was, still secure around his neck. He examined the tiny crystal in the center of its face. It was still unclouded, which meant its store of mana had not been exhausted. Rianne would not be getting pregnant from him. But Jasmine doesn't wear a male birth control amulet, he realized. Hers only keeps her from getting pregnant. The mistress must have inseminated Rianne before John had arrived. Jasmine left without another word, shutting the door behind her. John listened to her footsteps padding off down the hall. "'Are you all right?' he asked, when he was sure Jasmine was out of earshot. Rianne let out a sound that was half sigh, half giggle. "'All right. Gods, I feel amazing.' You can do the sacred triad with me any day. She rolled over onto her side and propped herself up on one elbow, smiling warmly at him. John, though, was unconvinced. Did you know that she planned to get you pregnant? Rianne's smile slipped a little. Well, I knew it would happen eventually, she said at last, still trying to sound positive. It's a big part of what we're here for, after all. John nodded soberly. Incubi and Succubi couldn't reproduce with each other, 
they needed a human parent to complete their life cycle. Acolytes like Rianne were a food source, first and foremost, but they were also breeding stock, essential for the species' survival. I trust the lady's timing, Rianne continued. If she told Mistress Jasmine it was my turn, then there must be a good reason. She reached down and spread her hand thoughtfully over her belly. It will be an honor to bear the mistress's child. Privately, John thought that was an honor that could afford to wait a few years. Like, say, until Rianne had finished university. Stopping to care for a baby now would seriously hinder Rianne's employment prospects later, if she ever decided to leave the church. Which was probably one reason Jasmine did it. Rianne got to her feet and bowed to John. I should go get cleaned up. Health and pleasure to you, Brother John. John waved an acknowledgement of the words, and Rianne hurried out, leaving him alone. His emotions swirled in a confusing mass. Pleasure and satisfaction, certainly, but also worry for Rianne, and anger at having been manipulated. Every aspect of this encounter had been carefully staged and orchestrated for his benefit— to send him a message, or to take his measure, or both. He only hoped the mistress would be satisfied with the answer. Jasmine kept John busy for the rest of the day. Together they oversaw the induction of some new believers, provided sexual counseling for couples who were having difficulties, attended the opening of an art gallery by a prominent lay member, and held a financial planning meeting with their accountant and several other church officers. Not every meeting involved having sex with the others involved, but several of them did, and Jasmine also took breaks to snack on some acolyte or lay member who caught her eye. John did as he was told, sometimes partaking in additional sacred triads with Jasmine, sometimes fucking a different believer while Jasmine enjoyed her chosen partner, and sometimes just watching, taking note of some technique that the mistress wanted him to learn. He would have been lying if he'd said he didn't enjoy himself. Sex was what he was made for, and while Jasmine could be demanding, manipulative, and sometimes downright scary, being with her was never, ever boring. Still, as the day dragged on, John found himself daydreaming about Kate— and imagining the prospect of an entire week together with no outside responsibilities. The hedonist temple offered him a never-ending array of partners, but mostly those experiences were shallow ones. The time he shared with Kate was special, in ways that hedonism didn't have the vocabulary to describe. They capped off the day by officiating the first of the week's three evening services. Monday was not the busiest night for the temple— that would be the Saturday service, which regularly drew over a thousand people. But the Monday service had been growing rapidly since Jasmine started it, as congregants needed a pick-me-up after their first day back at work. John counted 437 people in the vast sanctuary, and conversation and laughter filled the hall as they shared in the communal meal. Enjoying the food and wine was itself an act of devotion to Suspira, who called on her followers to savor all of life's pleasures, not just sex. 
The meal was followed by a brief sermon, which tonight was delivered by Jasmine, and then songs of praise and celebration. This led seamlessly into the ritual orgy that was the heart of hedonist worship, and soon the hall was filled with moans and cries of ecstasy from the assembled throng. John and Jasmine moved smoothly from one couple or group to the next, absorbing a little life mana from each one, sometimes stopping to provide a few pointers on sexual technique. Only rarely did they participate directly in the orgy, and even then they would quickly move on once the mortal participants were successfully re-engaged. It was important for the officiating priests to keep watch on everything going on in the hall, in case there was any bad behavior that needed to be addressed. If people didn't feel safe at the orgies, they would stop coming, and that would be the beginning of the end for the whole endeavor. Besides, they didn't want to look like they were playing favorites. When it was over, the acolytes arrived to clean up the mess, and John and Jasmine retired to the priest's living quarters. Jasmine seemed to be in a chummy mood, and she invited John back to her chambers for a nightcap. They reclined on the couches in her opulent sitting room, sipping whiskey that cost upwards of 500 marks per bottle. It had a smokier flavor profile than John preferred, but he still appreciated the gesture. You did good work today, Jasmine said, after they'd been there a while. Thank you, mistress, John said. Jasmine waved off the words. Do you understand why I had you follow me around the whole day? For the counseling, the meetings, the gallery opening, all of it? John thought about it. I guess you'd like to find someone to help with it. You have a lot on your plate. Jasmine took a sip of her drink, then nodded once. That's part of it. But it's more than that. I think you're starting to get bored here. She said it casually, but the words still set off alarm bells in his head. I'm happy here, he said quickly. It's good work. I believe in the mission. Jasmine held up a hand for silence. John gave it to her. You're almost forty, John. You aren't a kid anymore. I think you're ready to take on more responsibility. I'm willing to give it to you, if you're willing to take it. John studied her over his glass for a long moment. She sounded sincere, but that didn't mean she wasn't also working an angle. I'm interested, as long as these new responsibilities don't get in the way of my personal life. Jasmine smiled knowingly. Don't get in the way of your hobby, you mean? John felt his eyes narrow fractionally. Call it what you like. I believe we had an understanding where Kate was concerned. We do, Jasmine said, unruffled. I still think you're setting yourself up for heartache in the long run. But like I said, if you can keep her, you can have her. John raised his glass to her, tilted his head in an ironic salute. So far, so good. So far, Jasmine agreed, and took another drink. John drank with her. They sat in silence for a time, each with their own thoughts. Jasmine seemed relaxed and in a magnanimous mood. John decided he wasn't going to get a better moment. I'll be your understudy, he said, but I want to leave of absence first. One week off for Metacama. 
Jasmine raised her eyebrows in surprise. Metacama? Seriously? Seriously, John said. I'd like to get out of town for a bit. I'll come back fresh and ready to learn. Jasmine nodded slowly, her eyes narrowing in thought. That's fair enough. Where are you thinking of going? Because if you leave Metamore, I have to notify the Lightbringers. John's stomach twisted in unease. The Lothanasi Order was the paramilitary organization charged with keeping the peace between mortals and the supernatural community. Part immigration agency, part police force, and part special forces, the so-called Lightbringers kept a close eye on Daedra, Celestials, Fae, Vampires, and other creatures that didn't quite fit in to polite society. They had nearly killed John once, due to an unfortunate misunderstanding involving him and a certain baroness. Apart from that, and the lecture they'd given him when he was first outed as an incubus, he had mostly stayed out of their way. He hadn't realized that leaving town would change that, though he probably could have guessed if he'd stopped to think about it. He closed his eyes and took a deep breath. It'll be fine, he told himself. I'm not going to be doing anything that could get me in trouble. That's fine, he said, looking back up at Jasmine. We're going to Alamar province. Somewhere near Allentown, I guess. For a moment, Jasmine looked baffled. Alamar? What the hell is in... She trailed off, and then her eyes widened in understanding. Oh, goddess, you're meeting her family. She sounded like she wasn't sure whether to be amused or scandalized. John lifted his chin in stubborn defiance. All right, yes, the Catanes invited me and Kate asked me to come. I couldn't spend the holiday with my family even if I wanted to, so why the hell not? Jasmine scoffed, and for a moment John thought she was going to argue with him. But then her expression smoothed, and a slow, cagey smile crossed her lips. You know what? You're right, she said, in a sweet tone of voice that did not match the cool calculation in her eyes. By all means, go visit your sweetheart's family. You have my blessing. Hearing that set off almost as many alarm bells as if she had yelled at him. John studied her face her body language, the way her index finger traced a delicate line around the rim of her glass. And then he got it. You think this is going to end in disaster, he thought. You think Kate's parents are going to see what I am and react so badly that she'll have to choose between me and them. Jasmine had always warned John his relationship with Kate would never last. She might not be willing to sabotage it herself, but if John did something to make it self-destruct, Jasmine would count that all to the good. John would come crawling back to Temple, chastened and heartbroken, and she could set to work remolding him in her own image. You always liked me best when I had nothing left to lose. John took another breath, then pushed all of his fears and uncertainties to the back of his mind hiding them behind a bland mask of a smile. Maybe Jasmine was right. Maybe this would end in disaster.
but he would be damned if he didn't give it his best shot. He stood and bowed to her, deeply. Thank you, mistress. I look forward to working with you when I get back. Jasmine inclined her head graciously. Her fangs glinted in her predator's smile. As do I, John. As do I. And that's the end of Chapter 3. Come back next time, when John and Kate begin their journey to the Central Provinces. Jeanette Winterson said, I always say to people who want to write, Live life! Don't stand on the rim. Don't sit on the sidelines. Make mistakes. Make a mess. Get it wrong. Read everything, and get out and be in life. Well... Since we're all sitting on the sidelines of life right now, let's see where my writing has taken me this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of May 2nd through May 8th. I wrote 2,832 words this week, over the course of 5.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 539 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 21 days without breaking my chain. This week I wrote most of Chapter 4 of Honor Bound, which puts us back in Natasha's perspective. The guards of House Hassan are preparing for the debutante's ball, and we are introduced to Natasha's supervisor, Captain Hansen. I'm getting to know Natasha as a character, and in this chapter I realized some of the particular hurdles that are causing problems for her. We get some more hints about her past, and the situation that led to her discharge from the army. We see her struggling with the effects of trauma, like memory problems and difficulty maintaining focus. We also see a little of Natasha's language barrier. Because common is not her first language, she has some holes in her vocabulary and has to pick up some cues from context, with varying degrees of success. All of this together leads people like Hansen to assume she's just a big, dumb brute, and Natasha has begun to fear that he's right. Just as Honor needs to grow into her own personal power, Natasha needs to rediscover her own sense of self-worth. As these characters get to know each other, I hope to show how each of them brings out the best in the other. The manuscript is now over 8,000 words. This week, I also continued my research into the FF romance genre. The latest book on my reading list was Proper English by K.J. Charles. Charles is a fantastically prolific British writer who mostly does historical queer romance, with the occasional paranormal story thrown in for spice. This book is set in 1902, which makes it a good reference point for my Honor and Natasha books. The protagonist, Pat Merton, is a smart and practical woman who leans toward a more masculine gender expression and tends to be treated by her male friends as if she were one of the guys. She is socially awkward and has a difficult time playing the games of manners and decorum that are expected in her society. She is also mostly oblivious to her own sexual orientation until she's stuck in a situation that makes it impossible to ignore her attraction to her friend's fiancé. I greatly enjoyed this book, and it gave me a lot of insights into how a writer can create tension and drama in a story about high society. 
When a conversation around a dinner table feels as dramatic as a gun battle or a high-speed car chase, you know the author's doing something right. Add in a colorful cast of characters, most of whom have their own secrets, and a compelling country house mystery in the second half of the book, and you've got a tremendously fun and enjoyable story. I highly recommend giving this one a try. Big thanks to Metamorph Trish Matson for suggesting it. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorphcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvette Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.